How's it going, everybody? How's everybody doing out there? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Interviews with Chris. This is your host, Chris Tryon. This one is a special one. It really is. I know it feels like I'm saying it on every episode, but for those that don't know, my hometown is El Paso, Texas, and the guest on this episode shares that same hometown. My guest on this show is Jim Ward. Where do I begin? Sparta, at the drive-in, sleeper car, his own solo music. Jim has a vast discography, which growing up has had a huge impact on me. Albums like At the Drive-In's In Casino Out and Sparta's Wiretap Scars were crucial and extremely influential for me growing up. Another thing from El Paso that had a similar influence on me is the food. That delicious food that originates from the overall Southwest and even specifically the El Paso Juarez border. I'm already salivating, thinking about tacos and a nice bowl of menudo. Someone teleport me, please. No, but all jokes aside, of course his music has been a huge part of my life as a fellow El Pasoan and someone who loves music, but even furthermore, the establishments that he's been involved with, whether it's venues, bars, or restaurants, I've had so many wonderful memories at them, and in a way, they've been connected with Jim. We talk food, we talk sports, we talk about the influence his parents' record collection had on him. We talk about the importance of mental health. Jim also has some absolute gems talking about some time-specific stories during the relationship of command at the drive-in era that are just so great to hear about. Of course, we talk about our hometown and that makes it all that more special for me. Jim is such a great person and I'm super grateful to have been able to have this talk with him. I'm kicking this off with a track called Paperfish that's off Jim's upcoming solo album, Daggers. It's coming out June 11th on Dynalone Records, so make sure to check it out. Here's my conversation with Jim. Enjoy. On the tip of my tongue All the names I've forgotten But as the day is long How's it going, Jim? Good. How are you? I am doing great. Again, thanks for taking the time to do this interview. This means a ton, El Paso being my hometown as well. It's definitely a special one for me. What's going on in your world? Um, I am organizing a room in my house where I'm trying to fit all of my guitars into a closet on a rolling shelf. And it right, right now, it looks like a bomb went off. <laughs> Well, I saw I saw your recent post on Instagram. Those shelves, yeah, um, that most people would use for, I don't know, even it could be totally for like amps or a pantry. But you're using them right now to stack up your guitars. Yeah, it's like so. My annoyance has been 
like I'm working on something and I record a lot of guitars at home. So I'm working on something and I think, oh, you know what would sound good is the, like my Bronco, right? But my Bronco is at the bottom of 10 guitars. And then I immediately am like, nah, never mind. So now I was like, I just want them to be at the most like three or four deep so that I can get what I want when I want it. Because I don't have a lot of, of doubles of anything. Everything is its own unique guitar. Yeah, and that Bronco, I know you've had it for a very, very long time since the first yeah. At The Drive-In album. Yes, it's on the back of the first At The Drive-In album. Well, hey, I can't wait to see. I mean, it's not like I'm going to go into your room, but if you post <laughs> any photos, I am excited to see the, that organization because I guess I'm a musician. I'd call myself a little bit more of a hack and I'm a... I like to record as well. So any type of organization that people do, I'm I'm inspired by it. But hey, tomorrow is Cinco de Mayo. True. We're both from El Paso. True. Are there any tacos and tequila in your future tomorrow? I mean, I hadn't thought about it, but probably. I mean, it seems like, you know, I like to have a cocktail on a Wednesday. So that'll work out. Hey. And my, my press days are Tuesday, Wednesday. So at the end of Wednesday, I'm pretty ready for a drink. And, <laughs> and I'm always ready for a taco. So... Hey, what do you like in your tacos? Well, I'm plant-based, so it could be sort of like a, uh, our kind of go-to is just like bean like tacos. Seitan? I mean, we will occasionally because we have it at the restaurant, but mostly I would say if we're not making like bean tacos, which would be our go-to for sure in my household, there might be something special, like some recipe we find. And I mean, we both like to cook, so my wife and I both like to cook a little bit she's better at it than i am but you got me salivating already here so <laughs> um but you've got your video cast friday beers i haven't seen you post anything up for this week so uh, i post I on wednesdays so oh it's gonna be it's on wednesdays no i post on wednesday for oh, friday you post on wednesday i was like yeah, yeah. huh it's on wednesdays no yeah. it's friday beers okay so you're gonna be posting later today probably right after this i'm guessing right yeah so it'll be uh but i mean it's not like it's a secret it's just when i do it so this week is <laughs> is Shauna Potter from War on Women. Uh, I'm not familiar. So it's it's a a band from Baltimore, but the guitar player is Brooks, who's actually from El Paso and my best buddy growing up. We've known each other since we were babies. Well, I've been checking them out, so I'm excited to, to see. I'm hooked on them. Shauna sings on the single that we're releasing on Thursday. So all of this week is like sort of, the end of the week is another single from the record coming out. So Right on, and so it's all tied together then. Yeah, yeah, we try to do that. Hey, well, I've got to say I've thoroughly enjoyed your episodes. And to be 100% honest, I've got to say I love how consistent you've been. You've recorded <laughs> you. a ton of these. Yeah. I mean, for myself, I'm like, well, I'm trying to be as consistent as possible. But I'm a essentially a one-person army back here scheduling, prepping, and, um, you know, don't want anyone out there to feel sorry for me. But I definitely try to be as consistent as possible. When I see yours, I'm just like, He's pumping them out, and they're great. I love it. Well, it's because I do no work for them. That's why it's easy <laughs> to do. Like, I literally just hit uh, record or go live, and then and I just open a beer. See, what, see what happens. Yeah, have a beer, chat with somebody. Either I know them or I don't know them, and I get to know them either way. I have a good time, and I don't take it super seriously. I've been doing this stuff a long time, so it's it's uh, it's pretty easy for me to have those conversations. So, Hey, well, they're super fun and entertaining keep at them because I am hooked. Um, but well, it seems hopefully as we're heading into a bit more normalcy with the world, despite all the difficulties and challenges, 
hopefully we can share a shot of tequila or maybe a beer the next yeah. time our paths cross. Yeah, um, sounds good. It's kind I mean, of funny because we have a, a vast amount of mutual friends. I've met you plenty of times, but it's been more of just in passing like, hey, yeah. Jim, like, hey, how's it going? Whether it was at Tricky Falls or I was take my mom to Eloise. It's never been like a, hey, Jim, um, I'm a big fan. My name's Chris. Let's right. shake hands because, hey, like friendships and things like that don't typically, you know, work out that way. I didn't want to be a weirdo or anything, but it's just really cool because in El Paso, there's this vast web of how can I say big city small town feel so we know a bunch of people and just want to say hey super cool to just even be able to talk with you right now well thanks for having me yeah absolutely so dialing it back growing up and starting at the drive-in you stated that bands from the label discord like Fugazi and Jawbox were huge influences I know you're a fan of other bands like the Clash and U2 I mean, even in the Amoeba series, What's in My Bag, you showed off some records from Miles Davis, Mm -hmm. Sketches of Spain, Paul McCartney, Van Morrison, Graham Parsons. But growing up, what other bands or artists would you say had the largest impact in your life as a musician? So early on, um, you know, part of it is like my parents' record collection is what sort of got me in the beginning, right? So they they were cool. They would let me put records on the record player. And I sort of fell in love with Billy Joel's sort of my first love and, and will always hold like a special place in my heart. I sort of great songwriter. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that's my appreciation of songwriting, I think comes a lot from like sort of Billy Joel, Tom Petty, that sort of generation of songwriters, like post it's not the baby boomers, but the next generation, you know, just like, um, or maybe it is the baby boomers and like, so the, the ones that grew up listening to the Beatles that so were just a few years behind the Beatles and Dylan and sort of all of that generation. Like I love that generation of songwriters. Um, and I think that it's like Billy Joel was big for me. Um, my dad's really into Steely Dan. I wasn't as much into Steely Dan, but I listened to them so much that it's <laughs> it had it's, some sort of effect on you. It has to, right? And it's cool when we were doing, when we did, uh, we were trying out the guy who ended up producing relationship, this guy, Ross Robinson and familiar. Yeah. We did a song with him in New York and the studio we went to, to do the song was Steely Dan studio in New York. And I got to call my dad from the phone at Steely Dan studio and tell him I'm at Steely Dan studio. That's, that's <laughs> all I had, but it still was like kind of a moment in my life that I will always remember feeling like this is something, you know, like this is a level of weirdness that I have not experienced before this. Well, I love it. And also that you're stating that, hey, Billy Joel, I mean, I don't know if we went back in time and you finished recording in Casino Out, you'd be like, yeah, Billy Joel's my guy. You know, he's definitely the one. But I think now with the trajectory of your, how can I say it, career in music and songwriting, it kind of makes sense now that you're saying that. You know, even yeah. back then, I don't know if you're like, oh, Billy Joel's huge. Might be like, okay. But now through the actual songwriting process, I'm guessing it's a little bit more clear that way. Yeah. I think all of that stuff adds up at the end of the day and you, you sort of realize why in the moment you don't see that stuff. But when you look back with hindsight, it's easier to see those paths. You know, always, of course, it's easier to see where you came from. When you're bringing up Ross Robinson, 
I'm thinking, wow, did he drive Jim Ward through the Hollywood Hills at 120 miles per hour, blasting some Billy Joel songs to pump you up? You know, that's uh, what I'm thinking. <laughs> no, he, he liked to, and I wasn't ever a, a, either a victim or a benefactor of this experience, but he would go do like donuts in the, like, because we recorded at, at this place, Indigo, in Malibu up in the hills. That was kind of like his spot that he loved Indigo to Indigo Ranch? To. Yeah. Right. And he would go and like just do donuts in the mud and like just like get you fully crazy. Um, <laughs> I don't, I think he did that for the people that respond to that. I'm, okay. I'm the sort of person that if he did that to me, I would have just left because I'm not, <laughs> I don't think I would respond to it very well, to be honest with you. But that's his thing, you know. I mean, he is he is all about vibe, and he definitely knows how to bring it. And he did, obviously, I think a, a tremendous job of getting that record out of us for sure. But no, I didn't. I didn't get the the adrenaline treatment. <laughs> well, even sonically speaking, you've said in previous interviews that you like to be somewhere in between Fugazi and U two. Yeah, I've got to ask since Fugazi is one of my all time favorite bands. What's your favorite Fugazi album? Um, so it's kind of hard to say. I mean, there's sort of that first love. You know, the first Fugazi record is, um, well, 13 songs, right? So it's probably that. But then my favorite Fugazi song, strangely enough, is Sweet and Low, which is uh, instrumental. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, it's um, with Fugazi, I think it's every other month. I may like one more. Yeah. More so, but like repeater is huge for me. Yeah. But even towards the end of their career, the argument was huge for me and as well as end hits. So yeah. just had to kind of ask there because I know that they were definitely an instrumental band. Oh, huge. I would say, in, I don't even know, maybe not songwriting sense, but maybe just the actual crafting of a sound and the tone with the abrasiveness, but still the sweetness of, of yeah. a band like Fugazi. I think all of it is is what I get from them. Like ethics, uh, the way they treat people, the, the sort of um, just... We've mentioned it, the camaraderie and yeah, just yeah. the DIY nature. And the, the fact that you... Did you know that they never had set lists? That blows my mind. You're blowing my mind when I'm... I mean, I when I see all these videos... They would just know... All of them I, would know what was coming next. It's so insane to me. And I don't think unless you're in, have been in the position of being a band playing a show, um, I don't know if you would understand how bonkers that is. It, and I've, I've heard that before. I, I hope it's true. Cause it would just be like, yeah, we just <laughs> like, you know, somebody would go into what was next and then we would all kick in like that blows my mind. It's, I mean, even watching their DVD, their um, documentary instrument, mm -hmm. that was huge for me. And, they obviously had their own system, procedure, I don't know, you know, carrying a, their own PA around or their a dishwasher, not dishwasher, a washer for their own clothes or dryer. Yeah. It just, that blows my mind as well because everything is so raw and natural, but it fits together like a perfect jigsaw puzzle, to mm -hmm. be honest. Yeah, no, they're incredible. Hey, well, I've also got to ask, since mm -hmm. we're on the topic of artists and albums, what have you been mainly listening to? Even so in the past year or so, I ask because even around when the Sparta album Trust the River came out, were you jamming certain artists to get you in a certain mood or vibe? Um, 
you strike me as a type of guy that is always going to pull out a record that, hey, you like if you like them, you like them. It, I don't know if it'll influence your songwriting at that point in time, but is there something in particular that you're just like, I've just been in love with this album or this artist, you know, even during the pandemic? I think particularly in 2020, I spent a lot of time with records that put me in a good spot mentally. Okay. Um, so mental health is a huge thing to me. I talk a lot about it. I've talked a lot about it in the last few years compared to what was talked about when I was a kid. And I think that, that part of that for me was getting my head in a good spot in a really challenging year. And so I kind of went back to like my standards, you know, like early U2, Clash. Uh, there's a record called Cancel Everything, which I talk about a lot, which is a Ronnie Woods record that has one of my favorite songs ever, Mystify Me. Um, and I went back to sort of these records that make me feel good, probably driving my family crazy because I tend to get <laughs> like very uh, microscopic in my tunnel vision where I'm like, I'm just going to listen to this record every day for whatever or or not listen to music at all, which is the other thing that I do in, in huge bursts. And that probably has to do more with once I'm in the kind of creating mode, once I start like writing heavily or starting to record, I really don't listen to very much stuff, mostly because I'm kind of just burned out on music by the end of the day and would rather just watch a movie or read a book or make dinner or, or whatever. Well, one aspect you went into right now, which I truly appreciate, is the mental health aspect. In previous interviews and even podcast episodes that I've listened to, you even stated, hey, you're, you've been in the music industry for a very long time. And it's not until recently, I would say maybe the past couple of years or so, it's been brought to light versus maybe a decade ago or two decades ago. You just have executives say, hey, have a beer or here's some drugs or hey, just go play more shows because you need to take advantage of it while you can. Yeah. So I'm glad you bring that up um, because I know you've stated that you know, at certain times, there's moments of burnout and just saying, hey, I need to just kind of pull myself away from all of this before it collapses. And I need to really be more concerned about myself, even though it may affect others. And that is really tough. I mean, hey, there may be an opportunity. We don't ever record music ever again if I don't make sure that I'm okay. Yeah. And that takes a long time to get to that point in life where you can say that. And that comes with uh, years of, of, um, experience. So when you're 23, it's not as easy to say, Hey everybody, I'm not feeling good. Um, maybe I'm drinking too much, or maybe I've gotten into some stuff that is making me not think straight, whatever it is. Obviously everybody has different demons and deals with it in different ways, but of course this industry is so fueled by pushing that ball up the hill, pushing that rock up the hill. That if anybody senses that you're not wanting to push that rock up the hill, they start doing anything they can because their income depends on where on your head success. Is. Yeah. So it does tend to lend itself to a, a pretty, um, you know, I, I just feel like one of the lucky ones that has lived through this because uh, more than a few of my friends have not lived through this for one reason or another. And you know, it's, it's not about the level of success. It's about, you know, all of us have plenty of friends in this industry that were very famous and killed themselves. So I don't think that you get to a level where you're like, okay, once I've sold a million records, I will no longer be depressed. That's not the way it works. And 
if I just made a million dollars, then I won't be depressed or I won't be suicidal. Like, again, that's not how it works. And you do have a lot of people around you that will take advantage of, of whatever they can to get what they need. And that's just the way it is. And I don't know how else to say it. But when you're young, it's definitely hard to recognize that. And you end up just kind of going with the flow. And I've been lucky to be around people that were understanding when I hit my low points. And I hope that everybody is. Like the guys I played with throughout the years, I hope that everybody, you know, more or less took care of each other. And if somebody was hurting, they they looked out for you as well. Thank you for touching on that because it's definitely something that's important to talk about. But even transitioning outside of music, you've had your hand in starting up many businesses in El Paso. Hope and Anchor, (laughs) that's a bar. Tricky Falls, Bowie Feathers, which was essentially inside Tricky Falls. Eloise, what prompted you to start these businesses? And have you always had an entrepreneurial spirit inside of you? It's funny because I never thought I did. And I mentioned that, I think, at some point to one of my parents. And they're like, you've been building your career since you were 12. So you, you've you been an entrepreneur since you were a kid. You used to sell seven inches at gas stations. Like, <laughs> I just well, I never ne- thought of it that way. I didn't think, I, I still don't consider myself like an entrepreneur. I don't, I don't. That's just not the way I visualize myself, whether I am or not, doesn't matter. But um, the reason that all that stuff started is I just wanted to get off the road. And I was I was super burned out at the end of threes. I've talked a lot about it before, but I just felt like when you're in a democratic band and you lose every vote, it's just hard to get motivated to want to do anything. And I was just at the end of my rope. I just didn't want to do it anymore. I was tired. I wanted to be home. It wasn't enjoyable to me anymore at that moment and knowing that doing that would stop pushing that rock up the hill uh, I was totally okay with that so I came home and you know finished the sleeper car record and opened a bar with some friends and initially it was just like well if I'm going to be home I'm going to do something and that something ended up being Hope and Anchor which was kind of surprisingly successful and allowed me to do some other stuff we had a studio for a while uh, me and some Clap friends. of Thunder, correct? Mm-hmm. Clap of Thunder. We had that for a couple of years. And all of that was with other people. It's not just me. Like, I'm not, I'm not some, like, business Mastermind. guy. That, no, no, Mastermind. Mastermind CEO. Yeah. yeah. And you said you kind of run it like a band. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's, that's the way we do it is we just, like, we have an idea and we figure out how to do it and, you know, either take out some loans or just do it bootstrapping and figure it out. And, and I think I will be doing that forever. I don't think they'll... I don't think I'll stop making things. I don't have any interest in like growing businesses to the point where you sell them and you profit and then you start something else that you can see the market needs. Like none of that is important to me. I just like to make stuff. And if, if people enjoy it and we have a good time, great. If we don't, then we'll shut it down. It's not a big deal. Yeah. And you've run businesses that align with who you are as a person. It's not like you're selling vaping machines or something like that. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. No, so. no, no. It's Yeah, it's all part of my you know what, what people would say is your brand. Your um, DNA, I would guess, too. I mean, just yeah, it's just, I, I like to play music and I like to hang out with people. So that's that's pretty much what I like to do. Hey, well, talking <laughs> more about your restaurant, Eloise, there's vegan options. It's vegetarian friendly. Yeah. A great selection of drinks. There's coffees. I've been there plenty of times with my friends. I've taken my mom, my now wife, and it's a great spot, especially when I was living in El Paso. 
what got you thinking, hey, I want to run a restaurant? Because I know you stated, hey, I wanted to do something with friends. But even then, you could have done an arcade or a record store. Was there something in particular where you felt, hey, a restaurant would be really cool? So it just started out with wanting, I live in this neighborhood where Eloise is. And I wanted something in the neighborhood where we could go and get, well, you know, just talking to my wife and I were talking one day, I had a meeting and it was like on a Saturday and we just want to go have a beer and have this meeting. And we ended up at Applebee's because there wasn't anywhere that was like not a dive bar or a shitty chain. <laughs> yeah. So that was honestly, it's as simple as that. Like we want, and then if we're going to do a bar, let's do somewhere that does good coffee because we're into coffee. So it all, it all kind of just reflects on what we're into in the moment. And at that moment, we were into coffee and, and good drinks. And then it sort of evolved from there. It didn't start with food. Uh, food came later. And then it, then it was sort of like, well, we're, we're basically plant-based. So let's put something that is at least plant-based friendly, vegetarian friendly. Um, and, and that, that sort of evolved into what it is now. And, and it's, you know, somehow we survived the last year and I feel like that's a pretty good sign and, and we'll go until we're done doing it. I don't know how long that'll be. It could be so glad to hear that, or... especially with the pandemic. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, you know, we're, we're really lucky that I, I hate to say this, but surprisingly our, our government stepped in and took care of the businesses that needed it. That's the only reason we're open is because we got helped by our community. And that's, it's just so nice that that actually worked. Another thing is being plant-based and being able to offer those options. When I lived in El Paso, touring bads would come in and be like, hey, I, is there a, like a vegan option, any sort of vegan options or a yeah. vegetarian-friendly restaurant? I'd immediately say, you guys, obviously you could go to other restaurants and just say, hey, just want beans, just want lettuce or yeah. you know, certain things that would cater to those needs. But I'm not saying it's like first mover advantage as a business person, but to be honest, it was something where, hey, on the menu, there's something that is clearly vegan yeah. and vegetarian. And that was always so nice to see, especially when I tried, I've explored those options. I love vegan food, vegetarian food. I don't identify, but I definitely try to eat as much as possible. Yeah. And whenever friends were, I'm like, hey, let's just go down here and let's have a bite to eat. Yeah, good. That's the idea is that also the thing is we wanted somewhere where as a member of the community, you could go and have food with somebody who's not vegan or it's not important to them. And you could both have a good meal instead of sort of compromising, like, well, I'll go to Chili's and get the black bean <laughs> burger or, yeah. or I'll go to whatever restaurant and, and eat. They only have whatever. We wanted it to be as friendly and, and compatible with as many people as possible. Cause that's the idea is it's, it's meant to be a spot for friends to catch up and, and also make new friends. That's the idea. I love hearing that. And even you've said that at 20 years old, you had a graveyard shift as an employee at Village Inn to save yeah. money on going on tour. So even then, um, probably not the best memories of working at a restaurant, but in awful. the frontline sense, you had some experience there. Yeah, I was terrible at it. <laughs> I'll tell you that. I was terrible. I've, I've had plenty of 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. coffee or sandwich after a late night gig or a study session. Yeah. Now, so maybe it was a decade earlier. You may have been the one to serve me that food. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> but I've had plenty of friends that have worked at Eloise and your establishments. And one thing is I've always been amazed 
how you've stayed in El Paso. And I truly admire it. I've honestly had so many memories in your establishments and businesses that you've had. And as a person that pretty much has lived the majority of his life in El, in El Paso, I'm speaking for myself, I've always been appreciative that these places have existed. Even as a musician, uh, you know, I, like I've said, I've called myself a hack, but I've played at Tricky Falls and mainly Bowie Feathers so many times. But one thing I've got to ask, and I know you've highlighted it before, is you've stayed in El Paso, but what made you decide that El Paso was going to be the city where you invest back into? Well, so, I mean, we stayed here because Christine was going to school when everybody else moved to L.A., and we couldn't afford out-of-state tuition, so we stayed basically so she could stay in school. And also, we were touring all the time, so it didn't really make sense to for me to, to move to a city, pay rent, and then be gone all the time. That was your home base. Yeah. I mean, it just made sense, honestly. And then the more I toured, the more I loved coming home, and the more I appreciated what El Paso was. And I don't think I... You know, I, I don't think I understood how great the city was until I spent time away from it at the level that I was spending. I mean, in the year 2000, I was here 21 days and I lived here. <laughs> I just, that's how long I was gone. I, we worked 49 weeks that year. So to come home and sort of appreciate your community more has been kind of like a priceless gift. And then I think when... You know, at the end of threes, when I was ready to just sort of do something different for a minute, I couldn't imagine going anywhere else just because if I'm going to invest in a community, why wouldn't I invest in my community? And I don't want to, I don't want to change our community to be what I want it to be. I want to give some of the lessons that I've learned in life and offer them up as, as an example of what I've learned. That makes sense. And you've seen the development of the city. Um, yeah, I mean, for sure. Obviously, like just the expansion, the amount of bands, the venues. Obviously, yeah. running a venue is extremely difficult. But you've seen it. I don't know if the word is unravel, not because I kind of associate unravel as maybe not the best term. But you've seen the development of so many things. Just even the growth of the city itself, and sure. you're essentially being a part of it. Uh, I mean, a piece of the puzzle, but you know, like Tricky Falls had a lot of people involved in the beginning and, you know, Hope and Anchor had a lot of people and it's, I'm just one, one part of that stuff. I think I, I tend to get a lot of the attention cause I do other stuff that's public because I've been in bands or I've made records or whatever. I get sort of the, maybe more of the share of the attention than is maybe necessarily uh, appropriate, but I've been lucky to be around good people with good ideas that are highly motivated. I mean, Gabe Gonzalez has spent probably a million hours at Tricky Falls from, and his ability to teach younger bands kind of the, the etiquette of playing is going to benefit all of those bands down the road. And they're going to go on tour and they're going to know how to act in a club because yeah, Gabe, Gabe taught them. And, you know, Mike Major was the one who taught me that. And Rosewood. He, yeah. Yeah. So when I was 17 and we went and recorded the first half the drive in seven inch, that's a guy that was like, you don't do that in a studio. You know, you do <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah. And when someone asks you, you say this and you don't like, it would never occur to me to be anything other than what Mike instructed us to be in a studio. And we've gotten, I've said this plenty of times in interviews, but we've gotten 
lots of kudos from studio owners for being respectful because of the way that Mike taught us how to be. And I think that we just paid that forward as well. Gabe and I have both had a lot of experiences on the road and in the studio, and he's really good at teaching people. And I, you know, I try to live by example and I don't have as many interactions as he does, obviously, but you know, like I went and played some shows with Eric, your buddy, Eric, and that was a chance where I got to go out and, and spend some time with the, the next generation or the generation below me and, you know, sort of have those moments where you can share stories and, and continue that line of communication, like throughout a community. That's always so great to hear, especially how you're talking about Gabe, whether you're learning about front of house etiquette or just treating your, your team yep. well, you yep. know, just, I, I think it even boils down to just being, besides just being a decent person, just being considerate. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, I think there's certain things when you go into a studio, um, you've been in multiple studios, but like you said, you know how to act. You're not going to be a jerk. You're not going to be like swiping up faders, however you like, or knobs and just yelling. And yeah. you're going to treat whoever you're working with, res- with respect. And that could be reciprocated there. Absolutely. And I also love that you mentioned that I kind of had stated, hey, this is what you're doing. This is what you're doing. But you're acknowledging, not acknowledging, but how could I say it? Stating that other people were a part of these um, adventures, endeavors, businesses. I have plenty of other friends that were also in them. I don't want to call out names unless they would want to be given a shout out. But I've always told them, hey, I appreciate this so much. Thank you for what you're doing for the community. And even just allowing myself to, we both know how hard and in playing in bands that to have that opportunity to play Mm -hmm. with a band that you respect and be given that opportunity to be open, be able to open for them. So, Hey, I, I love it. And I'm going to go ahead and transition this talk into a realm of randomness. Okay. Do you know where I'm going? Do you know where I'm heading with this? I don't, I do not. Okay. Don't worry. Don't, don't be afraid. I've gone ahead and created some random questions based on seeing you live, knowing you just as a person living in the same city as a fan, Mm -hmm. just doing some general research on you. Also got some random fan questions okay. that have been created. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. El Paso, being my hometown as well, I have to ask, what are some of your favorite restaurants or maybe just general spots that hold a special place in your heart? For me, Little Diner in Canutillo mm-hmm. or even Chico's Tacos or even being at Sonic Ranch or Trans Mountain. Are there certain spots that, that you're just like, this is what makes El Paso for me? Uh, so I spent the first almost 10 years of my life a block away from Memorial Park and Central. So Memorial Park will always have like a big uh, a big part of my DNA, I think. Your heart. Yeah, for sure. And then, uh, you know, sort of some places that don't really exist like they used to, which is a, an old man thing to say, but, <laughs> you know, like the, the classic Persian Inn. Um, oh, Kiki's House of Pizza, sort of like the comfort food that I don't necessarily eat anymore because it's basically cheese. Um, On on Copia? Mm -hmm. Well, no, on Piedras. Oh, Piedras. I'm sorry, I'm getting, uh, hey, El Paso fans out there, feel free (laughs) to to message me and send me your uh, derogatory words. But (laughs) no, no, I'm I'm familiar for sure. (laughs) Yeah, like the, the, I used to love to, um, it was like a very rare occasion where we would get to go to Western Playland when I was a little kid 
But when I was old enough to drive the go-karts, it was kind of, I have some like pretty great memories of driving go-karts. It was go-karts. a game changer. Oh, so good. It was so good. Kind of that stuff. Um, you know, I played uh, golf at El Paso High. I was going to bring that up. I was going to talk I about, have... I was going to talk about some sports in a little bit. But oh yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, 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 I'll hold it off for that. But I mean, just like sort of, we used to practice at Escarate. And so every time I kind of go past there, I have like a lot of good memories of me and this like misfit band of golfers that wasn't, wasn't good, but really had fun. That almost sounds like a music video or a film. Oh yeah. Misfit <laughs> band of golfers. Hey, if you want to enter a low-budget horror film with me, let's do that. (laughs) But um, no, I love hearing that, especially because it's my hometown. And like you had said, with different generations, I would say there's different experiences where an individual is exposed to it. But um, hey, another random question here. Let's say I walked into the bar of your restaurant and Mm -hmm. I asked for a drink called the Jim Ward. What would it consist of? It wouldn't exist. I would, oh, nev- wow. I would never play my music or name anything after myself Okay. Um, in, in anything that I own. So that's like <laughs> always been a rule that I've asked my partners. Like when we opened Hope and Anchor, I asked that my records not be played. Got because it. Okay. I just don't think there's anything more obnoxious than walking into somewhere and being like, oh, do you own this place? And then your song comes on and they're like, oh, how, how humble of you. Like, I just, I just think it's shitty. <laughs> So you wouldn't, you wouldn't get any of that. <laughs> hey, well, do you have a signature drink? I remember seeing on your Instagram live, you were doing, you're making some drinks and you actually yeah. inspired me to, to buy some, some liquor. I haven't done it yet. I'm mainly a whiskey person. I don't know what you were using. I think you were using maybe gin um, mm-hmm. at that point, but, um, gin is so fantastic. <laughs> it's like, I mean, the, gin and, and tonic is usually my go-to and so, it's simple and good, but early on, as like a young, you know, like when you stop just drinking shitty beer at parties and, <laughs> and you go to a bar and you're like, yeah. I'll get a gin and tonic. I was so turned off early on because I just had like well gin and terrible tonic, which is terrible tonic, like out of a gun is just <laughs> sugar and grossness. You know, there's good tonic out there, but it can really turn you off. And then when you get into like Negronis, which is what I made on, on hump day cocktails, Negronis are fantastic drinks and it's like a one a one one drink thing or i mean one or two drinks but it's it's heavily it's a lot of booze um but it's just so good and interesting and it's not just like i couldn't tell you the last time i took a shot of anything like it's just not (laughs) not what you do at a certain age because well we're gonna take a tequila shot right okay we'll do that okay (laughs) but it has to be um... good and i'll probably sip it just just so you know (laughs) we could do mezcal then instead yeah. sip that but um no I, I love that you mentioned that because when I was younger I used to just drink whiskey and cokes and now I feel like I just kind of hate myself because of the amount of coke that I consumed yeah um, when I was younger I was just like we went through a phase where we drank Jägermeister and coke which is insanely disgusting <laughs> like but you know you go through that's these phases n- that's not making a comeback then right no 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 not at all <laughs> Well, kind of exiting this um, talk about mixed drinks, I've got to ask, what's the most awestruck you've ever been meeting another musician? 
I know you've talked with people such as Bono from U2 yeah. and how the album Octone Baby ha- changed your life, essentially. Yeah. And you're obviously in the music industry, so you've got a huge amount of connections, friendships, acquaintances, and this huge web network. But who's an artist or maybe even a band that absolutely stopped you in your tracks when you first met them? Um, I still get a little awkward around the guys in Fugazi, to be honest. Okay. Um, you know, like we when we were recording threes, we did drums and bass at this studio called Robert Lang's in Shoreline in north of Seattle. Okay. And we were there, and the band that was coming in after us was the Blood Brothers, and Gee was... Oh, Gee. He, yeah. Um, what is that That album, Laser? I, I, I know what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, so I know which one you're talking about. So Cody asked, like, I'm, we're buddies with Cody, and he said, um, hey, is it cool if I bring Gee by to look at the studio because he's in town for pre-production or whatever? And like, yeah, of course, no problem. And he got there, and I had a real hard time communicated at all it was super weird i still get very awestruck around those guys um even to this day i was on something a few months ago and and ian was on it as well like a zoom thing and um i was i couldn't talk it's so weird i get so uh i get so shy i don't know what the right word is but yeah after gee left somebody in the band was like that's the quietest i've ever heard you in my life (laughs) And it was like one of those moments, like I had, you know, I had like a park amp and then I have like a Rick 360 and 330. Like we have all this stuff that's based on, because we're huge fans. On Gee. On Gee. <laughs> He's like, oh, a park. I have a park. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. You just feel, I mean, it's, I, I will always look up to them. And I think that that's like, there's, I mean, there's other people I've been in the room with that are, that are, you know, like. Being in a room with Brian Wilson is crazy, but I'm not. That's super crazy. But I'm but not. Maybe like, it didn't have the same impact on you as Fugazi did. You know, yeah, and I didn't talk to him. I was just in a room with him and another friend who was hanging out with him. And I'm sure for my friend that was like a moment because they were hanging out, shooting the shit or whatever. And I was just a fly on the wall. But my interactions with Bono have always been uh, inspiring, but but not as awkward as I am around the Fugazi guys. I don't know why. And I turned into a little cor- kid. <laughs> and to correct myself, the album was Young Machetes. I was thinking about the song on that album, Laser Life. Oh, yeah, the record but, Young um, Machetes. Yeah, that, so I'm guessing that was maybe around early 2006 yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if I ever met them, I mean, I don't Who knows? I know they're like on their hiatus. It, it's funny because bands like At The Drive-In, you know, Fugazi, they ended around the time where I was starting to go to shows. Yeah. And and so, I mean, that'd be amazing. I've seen um, a lot of their side projects, mm-hmm. like the Mesthetics, and I saw Brenton Canty and Joe Lally. That is like my power rhythm oh, duo ridiculous. for life. Yeah. And he, just talking with them is just like, hey, how's it going? No, and I wasn't just, really nervous, yeah. but it was just so cool to you know, just essentially shake their hand. I didn't get like signatures or yeah. photos. Well, I mean, we, we played a show with Fugazi. Like, yeah, you at E9 play- or what was No, that? we played oh. at Des Moines with them. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. And, and it was like, they just put two shows together and we played together and it was like, it was a normal thing. And obviously they're normal people. They helped us load out our gear. They held a flashlight over the stairs at, you know, this the bar we were playing at Harry Mary's and, um, yeah, just normal, super nice guys. But I think I, I don't know what it is. Like you get, 
it just strikes a chord in, within you. That's just yeah. like... I just respect them so much. And I love what they've done so much. We're going to... I don't know which Fugazi song we're going to be playing while we take that shot of tequila. But we can talk <laughs> about that afterwards. Sweet. Um, so on your your live IG videos and just in general, I typically see you rocking a San Antonio Spurs hat, mm-hmm. um, El Paso Diablos hats, and geez, the memories of the Diablos just hanging out with my dad at Cohen Stadium. Yeah. You know, it might make me a little sentimental talking about it, but I mean, um, I love seeing that, but I've got to ask, what's your favorite sport and your overall favorite team? Um, so my favorite sport, and unfortunately, like I'm, I'm kind of a copycat because my wife is the one that got me into this stuff. I was not generally into sports at all, but um, she's a big UTEP basketball fan, which got me I love into the games. And I get, uh-huh. once I get into something, I'm pretty into it. So I really like basketball a lot. And so my team would be the Spurs professionally, and then obviously UTEP for uh, collegiate. I don't like football at all. So I don't watch it. I do like soccer. So I like the hot Spurs for no particular reason. Ah, Tottenham. Uh, Tottenham, yeah. And then uh, I do like baseball. Um, I don't really necessarily have a team. Christine's family, half of her family is from Windsor, Canada, which is on the other side of the river from Detroit. So okay. we sort of take the... Uh, the the Detroit, Blue Jays? or The, who? the Detroit Tigers and then, okay. and then the Maple Leafs probably for hockey. Ah, Maple Leafs. I do like hockey. I have a friend that played for the Red Wings, so I'm kind of a a Red Wings guy because of that. I, I saw that. I think you even did an interview we with did. them. Yeah, yeah. Boyd, my buddy Boyd. Hey, well, I'm uh, going to maybe I'll crazy. We got to Yeah, I got such a <laughs> such a crazy experience in life to have a, a friend that is as generous and kind as Boyd and then the opportunity to go back and just hang out with Brett Hull. Wow, day, Dallas Stars. The day, so when, yeah. when Hulley was playing for the Red Wings, he got a golden stick, which means you score however many number of goals in your lifetime or whatever. Yeah. And I was in the dressing room with them after he got that stick. And he threw wow. it, he threw it to me. He's like, oh, you want to check it out? And he like threw it over to me. And these dudes are huge, like super muscular guys. Yeah. I, I just imagined getting like leveled in mid ice by them. Yeah. Well, that's how I felt when he threw the stick. It was just like, I don't know how much it weighed, but it was just like, why on <laughs> earth would you let me hold this? Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Like, you don't even know who I am. I'm just in your locker room because my buddies plays on the team. But it was cool. I got to sort of got to be not friends with like Chris Chelios, but spend some time with him and um, ended up, he's good friends with Eddie Vedder. So when we were on tour, when Sparta was on tour with Pearl Jam, Boyd came out with Chelly uh, to a game, I mean, to a show. And we all had fun and actually gave Chelios Jägermeister. That was in our Jägermeister phase. <laughs> I love talking not, about this not a because idea. I always have the tendency to get into sports on my podcast. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just going to make it a sports podcast. I love it. Like I, I'm always you know, talking basketball. I, just, I like all this stuff. <laughs> I yeah, I love it as well. I mean, people can be, you know, I mean, I have friends that are like, I only listen to music and I don't, I hate sports. And <laughs> you're an idiot if you like sports, but that's not me. Like I'm going to be, you know, luckily I'm married to somebody who's really curious about the world. And I've gotten a benefit from that greatly because I get to be this like, I get it to go on this, up this windows tr- and opportunities yeah. of other experiences. So between us, like I've had a lot of opportunities in life to travel because of what I do. And then she comes with me and brings her curiosity. And so together we've been able to sort of really 
really kind of fucking maximize living. And it's been, <laughs> it's been pretty awesome. There's going to be multiple things I'm sure I take away from this interview, but maximize living. I love that. And yep. talking about the San Antonio Spurs, they're, I would say, tied with my favorite basketball team. Since I live in Phoenix, it's kind of ironic um, because they've had such a huge rivalry with the, the Suns. But mm-hmm. I, lo- I like the Mavs. I like the Spurs, and I like the Suns. But Spurs, Ginobili, Parker, oh, Duncan, Popovich... I mean, geez, we, Classic. We, we could, we could go down a deep it's hole. Like the, it's of the Fugazi of basketball. There you, <laughs> <laughs> I, wow. I'm, I'm going to take that as my yeah. big, my big takeaway. Um, I mean, even talking about, um, golf, Patrick yeah. Carney of the black keys. Yeah. You said you were on the golf team in El Paso high. You mm-hmm. lettered, even though you said you were pretty much the worst golfer on the team, but I'm guessing you're usually the one that destroys everyone when you're playing mini golf. No, no, pretty terrible at mini golf too. <laughs> I'm not athletically inclined. I just like it. Um, but again, I think it works into like, for some reason, like there's a point in your musical career where golf really makes sense because you have a lot of time during the day and it is not inside a building, right? You get to basically be by yourself. You walk miles. You You're walk around. Sunshine. Yeah. I mean, I just, it fits like playing golf on tour is one of the best things like playing golf and then going to pro baseball games on tour, like on a day off is like the best possible, not being in a club that you can get. <laughs> yeah. Cause like I mean, when I... you're young, you're like, everybody wants to go to the bar. Like, what are you doing on your night off? Oh, we're going to the bar. And then at a certain point you're like, I don't want to be in a bar. I don't even want to be in a bar when I'm playing in a bar. So I definitely I mean, don't want to be in a bar on the course if somebody's inclined. Oh yeah. It's not yeah, about yeah, drinking. So. It's just about being yeah, in, indoors with a bunch of people and loud and like <laughs> craziness like that. When that's your, when that's your job, there's a point where you're just like, well, I don't want to do that for fun. I want to go, go do something different. Well, I play a little golf here and there. I used to play when I was younger and I've always liked that. Hey, you hit a bad shot. You just got to pick yourself up and just keep on going. It's kind of like skateboarding. It's all about um, the last great shot. Yeah, and there's always one that's just like, oh, yeah, it brings you back for more. I haven't played in a very long time, but I mean, skateboarding, golf, it's kind of yeah. funny because people are like, like, you know, young being younger, skateboarding and golf, they're kind of like polar opposites in the sense of like image or whatever. Yeah. But it was something that I took part in both of them and I, so I. I appreciated yeah. both of them to to the max. Yeah, yeah. Like Me say. too. Me too. Same. But um, what, this is my last random question. I want to say it's really random, but in interviews you've spoken about that, it's not about the destination, but about the journey. Yeah. And so far you've had a heck of a journey, even just in the musical industry sense. But For sure. What would you tell an 18-year-old Jim Ward, knowing all that you know now that you didn't before? I know you say, hey, don't really have any sort of regrets, but hey, it doesn't have to be even music industry related at all it'd yeah. be like you need to floss your teeth more or you need to do this or you need to exercise more focus on grades even though i know you're a great student but what would you tell your younger version of yourself um that being self-deprecating doesn't make people like you more okay so it's something that that you know like when you look back on stuff and you get it doesn't of, make you edgy or anything it's just like it's hey, just, just so what i what i would do um and i look back on these interviews that that I did when I was like 22 or 23 and I would always put myself down. Like in every interview, I would find a way 
you know, if they said like, oh, this record is the, you know, like one of the biggest records of the year and blah, blah, blah. Like if there was a bunch of compliments, I would answer the question with, yeah, but, but I'm not really, I don't really know how to play guitar or I'm not really that bright. I mean, that's embarrassing to me now that I would say that to people because one, I don't believe it. So essentially I'm lying to you because I want you to think I'm somebody that I'm not. And lying to yourself. Yeah. Why would I say that? That's, that's stupid. I'm intelligent enough. I'm good enough at playing an instrument that I made a record that you're taking the time to interview me about. So, but I think it was my self. It was like my defense mechanism. Um, because if I put myself down, then I won't be surprised when you put me down. And it's just, I think it's common and it's easy to see now, but at the time it, it, um, you know, it's just what I did to get through those moments. But if there was one thing I would tell myself, that essentially is it. That's the only thing I look back on and I'm like, so embarrassed that I would do that. Hey, well, thanks for touching on that. Yeah, man. I'm going to get into some random fan questions. All right. Um, I picked out a couple here because I obviously still want to talk about your upcoming album, Daggers. <laughs> here we've got some random fan questions. Chris out of El Paso asks, when did you start eating plant-based and what sparked the change initially for you? Um, so I've kind of gone back and forth on vegetarianism since I was in punk rock. I think it's a pretty common thing in punk rock to have that kind of like food, not bombs, vegan stuff. Um, my wife has been vegetarian since she was 18. So that kind of helps. And then I would sort of go back and eat meat occasionally. And I ate meat in 2006 when we were making threes. And then I actually pulled up next to, I had this like really obnoxious meal at Nobu in Vegas, uh, <laughs> like just really extravagant and ridiculous and ate stuff that I don't even want to think about eating. And then maybe a few days later, pulled up next to a, a cattle cargo truck. You know what I mean? Like a transportation truck for cows and just like looked over and made eye contact with a cow. And that was it. It's the last time I ate meat. It was just like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I do not. And you've got... Eloise too. Yeah. And so obviously it ties all in all together. Yeah. But another fan question here, anonymous fan asks, do you collect vinyl? I do. Yeah. Not for the sake of collecting it, but I guess, no, I guess I don't collect it. I buy it. I'm guessing just <laughs> through encounters or being at a show. I mean, that's how I've always been. It, people would say, well, you collect vinyl. It's like, well, if I'm playing with another band or going on to wa- see a show, I'm always trying to support and that's the best way of doing that. Yeah. We bought a lot of merch. Yeah. We bought a lot of Christine and I bought a lot of records when we were part of tricky falls a lot. Hey, (laughs) I'm assuming you probably have a wall of just records. Uh, not that many. No, I mean, it's sort of less than you would imagine, but a lot. I don't anticipate you moving anytime soon. I don't know what your personal situation is, but I have moved with crates and crates and crates and crates of records and sometimes I ask myself, why the hell did I buy so many records? Yeah. But um, I've been in the same house. We bought our house like 18 years ago, I think, or 17. Hey, 18, so hopefully you don't have ago. to move any sort of records. But um, no, I'm not here moving a couple. <laughs> well, here are a couple of more anonymous questions here. Okay. Jay out of Austin, Texas asks, which movies have influenced your music the most? God, it's a good question. And I don't know. I think only just in. Maybe as a fan of maybe watching films. Yeah, so I, I, I don't I know love, if maybe, yeah. I love John Williams. So anything he scores, um, I think has a pretty, definitely 
has an impact on me. Like Empire of the Sun is one of my favorite movies, which is like a young Christian Bale and Steven Spielberg, I think, made it. Ah, yes. John Williams score. Oh, it's such a gorgeous movie. And there's just so many elements to that movie that I've loved since it came out and I kind of go back to. And then Wes Anderson is a huge influence on on uh, me and again, but I'm copying that because it's really a huge influence on my wife and I'm just a copycat. So, Hey, well, maybe I'll watch a Wes Anderson film tonight, but our last, rant, <laughs> our last random fan question, Brenton out of Farmer's Branch, Texas asks, how was it working with Iggy Pop while recording Relationship of Command? That's uh, so funny. I just wrote about this on my Patreon. Um, so every week they were like, Iggy's coming this weekend. And we would get real excited and then he wouldn't come. And then it would be like, during the week, they'd be like, oh, it looks like Iggy's coming on Saturday. And you'd be like, oh, I'd get so excited. (laughs) And I had been gone for months. Like we had been at Indigo for a while. And before that, we were doing pre-production. So uh, I called my, you know, my girlfriend, now my wife at one point and she was, and we were going so long that we were going to not come home at all. We were going to go straight to South by and then straight to Europe and start our touring schedule, which had been already booked you know what i mean so where we thought it would just take a few weeks to record it ended up taking a few months however it ended up i don't know but um so i came home for one weekend and i got back and they're like yeah so iggy showed up and and recorded all the stuff and i was like man <laughs> like <laughs> oh man damn it but it's cool i mean i i ended up playing festivals with that dude and you know whatever it's all good talking be, about those can't, experiences can't be everywhere you know Hey, Jim. Well, thanks so much for answering these random fan questions. So back to music here. Your new upcoming album, Daggers, mm-hmm. coming out June 11th on Dynalone Records. Let's talk about that. Yeah, It's your first solo album. And maybe some people might think it might be chill in the sense of, I guess, it's not going to be as, I don't want to say hardcore or heavy, but but it's got some heaviness to it. It's rocking from so what I've my, heard. It's my second solo record because the first Oh, one I apologize. I can't was... believe, hey, you're going to hate me. No, no, no. But the thing is, all those re- all those EPs that made that record that made Quiet in the Valley, those were all intentionally quiet and folky and stripped down because that was the antithesis of what I was doing at the time. So I just come off threes and I wanted to make something uh, super quiet. So this is my first really big rock solo record. I think that's what I was thinking about yeah, yeah. because no, I, no. I listened to some other interviews or an ep- and they were like, this is going to be kind of chill and subdued, right? No, I no, mean, no. This is- listening to Paper Fish, um, great track. And then to think like, oh no, there's Jim's going to bring some heaviness here. Yeah, wait for the single on Thursday. <laughs> it is it is not mellow at all. <laughs> well, hey, I can't wait to hear it. You've also got some heavy hitters on the album. Yeah. With drummer Tucker Rule from Thursday mm-hmm. and bassist Ben Kenny from Incubus. Yeah. And How did I know that you've happen? got a <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've you've got a regular collaborator in, in your Sparta bandmate 
Gabe Gonzalez, mm-hmm. I believe you said you mixed and mastered the album. So again, there's still that that chemistry that you've had before. But how exactly did making of a solo album come about? Was it always in the back of your mind, or was it spurred on a little bit more, you know, via the anxieties of the pandemic and yeah, the desire no, just to create? Yeah, hundred percent. It was just a reaction to the where we were at in August. So you know, the Sparta record came out in April. We canceled everything. You sort of watch this thing that you've prepped for for a year because we recorded it April 2019. So we had spent an entire year sort of finishing that record and making sure it's good to go and building merch and a tour plan and all of these things. And it just all, it all kind of came crumbling down along with everybody else's world. Yeah. And it's, it's fine. Everybody, everybody's life was upended. So I think it was just kind of a reaction to sort of the anxiety and stress of trying to keep a business going in a pandemic and, and, sort of mental health yeah all of that home stuff life yeah just i say it all the time but for me music is therapeutic i was just kind of writing riffs at night and then in the morning i would sort of structure out a song and send it off to tucker because i'd seen him playing drums on instagram and was, and he's like basically like i'm bored at my house <laughs> <laughs> so i hit him up and was like hey you want to play on some demos like it's just hard to finish a song without having a drummer on it and they were heavy songs and I wanted to have, you know, one of my Well, you favorite. said he knocked out his drums in a day. Yeah, yeah. So we would we would sort of swap back ideas throughout a day, essentially. So it's kind of like finished 12 songs. There's 10 songs on the record, but we recorded 12 songs. And we would do, we would do like one every day or two. So within a couple of weeks, it was kind of done. And then I sort of edited what I wanted to out of the demos into structure and then sent it back to him. And then he recorded, yeah, all of his parts in one day. And I then, love hearing that. And then sent it. Yeah. It was, I mean, he's done in eight hours. It was ridiculous. It's the beauty of technology, really. Totally. I'm, I'm double-edged sword and with doing a bunch of things. I mean, if there was no technology, we wouldn't be doing this here right now. But another sure. question I wanted to ask is labels. You're currently on Dine Alone Records. Yeah. You put out the Sparta album, Trust the River, out on this label and your upcoming solo album is also coming out on this label. I know that you've been on labels from Fearless to DreamWorks, Geffen, Grand Royale. Now being at Dine Alone, I know essentially you obviously have experience dealing with huge executives, the DIY labels, and even then now in this phase of your career, you said, hey, I just want to write good songs and have a fun time. And that's where it seems like you're at. You know, especially with the music you're writing, the label that you're on. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit more on that? I mean mentally and creatively, I'm in a good spot. I have a a label that I really like. I've always talked about finding a label that would be a home for me for a number of records in a number of years. And understanding of Yeah. And when we were talking about when when we when we signed the deal for the Sparta record, I actually signed individually for a multi record uh, contract knowing that I like to make records in different bands, their understanding of that. The owner of the record is a friend of mine. We've known each other for a long time. I'm comfortable with them. I'm comfortable with the way they do business. Um, I love the staff. I really love my publicists that are, you know, they're not. That's what it's all about. It's a family. Yeah. So all the people that ended up doing the Sparta record that I sort of pieced together with my manager, who I love, um, just kind of came along on this record and and it wasn't the plan wasn't to make a record i sort of finished it and then turned it in and they they liked it so they're going to they're going to support it 
And that's what it should be about. If they didn't like it, they wouldn't support it. And I would have done it somewhere else. But I'm happy that they did. And I'm happy with the way it turned out. And I look forward to sort of where we go from here. And I can't wait to hear it. April 13th, 2012. That was a very important date for me because I saw At The Drive-In for the first time. Yeah. I was part of that generation where bands, like I have said, mm-hmm. At The Drive-In, Fugazi had come to a halt. And I was like, damn, why wasn't I born 10 <laughs> years earlier? Yeah. I didn't have the chance to watch y'all at E9 or Club 101 in El Paso. So that reunion show was at Tricky Falls. How did it truly feel to play in your venue or again, a venue that you co-owned mm-hmm. in a band you spend a great deal of time with, but just to be on stage and play songs that where there's been a huge anticipation for. I feel it's kind of similar with the pandemic because this is probably the, well, not probably, I know it's the longest you haven't played. Well, actually, I don't know that, especially if you had kind of um, breaks, but it's been a very long time since you've played music and you just, I'm sure you have this pent up energy just to let your fans have it. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously we look forward to to getting back out there and getting to enjoy something that we, that we love to do so much. Um, that day, April 13th, will be a, a good memory forever. Like it was great to, you know, it's kind of the, the flip side of what I think people would imagine. My, my great pride from that day was watching our, our crew at Tricky Falls be as flawless as anywhere I've ever played. And that was so important to me to not go in Immaculate and, and fuck up that thing because it's a lot of pressure to be in the band and own the place or one of the owners and sort of that day what there was a lot of stuff going on in my mind because you know we were thinking about are we adequately staffed are we this is obviously a sold what out can show. go wrong here yeah and there's a lot of things that can go wrong and you have to think about that stuff and and try and prepare for it so the fact that I was able to walk in that morning and wear multiple hats throughout the day and my team on both sides of the stage had a good day, then that's, that was all that mattered to me. It was, it was very 100% not about me that day. It was just about making sure that everybody around me that needed something from me was satisfied, if, if that makes sense. And we worked, hard, we worked hard to make sure that that was a good day, and it turned out great. You know? And it's a moment that I'm going to hold on forever to. Yeah. This is my last one here, Jim. I've seen the, here that you're going to play the fest in Gainesville later this year, um, hopefully with everything with the world. Um, So that should be fun. But I know that you plan on touring your upcoming album, Daggers, whenever that's possible. Any info you can relay for touring your solo album? I know it's kind of a bit of a rhetorical question. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know how or if we're actually going to appear at Fest, to be honest, at this point, because we're not going to tour, like the Sparta tour is is done. We're not going to tour that record. So I'll, I'll be touring under this record. Um, okay understood so, so i apologize yeah. I no think no no that don't I apologize saw... i mean it's it's still on there i think it's still on <laughs> yeah. there because we just haven't yeah, figured on the out website wh- i saw it and i was like, yeah oh, okay i just don't think we figured out what we're gonna do they're they're aware of where my head's at and we're just kind of trying to figure out what's going to be the a good solution so i may just show up there as myself or um we'll see i don't know i don't know hey yet. well i just hope that by the time everything is you know in a even better light than what it is right now, safer, healthy, and just, you know, the thought of live music is something that pumps me up so much. And it's hard for me to wrap my head around, hey, when is it exactly going to happen? So honestly, I can't wait until we cross paths. And I've got to say just a big thank you 
for this interview and for all the great music, whether it's from seeing you perform live or buying one of your albums at the record store when it first came out to the memories of just hanging out at all your establishments and inspiring me to want to create. Well, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thanks again, Jim. Thank you. Well, that's my conversation with Jim. Hopefully you didn't listen to it on an empty stomach. We talked tacos and tequila, and now I know what I want for dinner. I've seen him play many times. I've seen him perform with Sparta, Sleeper Car, Solo, at the drive-in. I've seen him at the venue we talked about, Tricky Falls. I'm pretty sure I even saw him play at a Harley-Davidson dealership at one point. I know that he was at an event at a Barnes & Noble ages ago where he collaborated with El Paso poet Bobby Bird. So I've seen Jim multiple times in my hometown of El Paso. The details of the memories are a little hazy since some of these events were so long ago, but every time, every moment is obviously super memorable. But even more so, it's left with the appreciation of being in the present and the desire to create. On Jim's TED Talk, he states that he lives by the words, defy doubt. Being in a successful touring band, transitioning into playing calm acoustic country music and sleeper car to undertaking other endeavors all have a level of risk. And obviously, there's always going to be a perception of what others are thinking about you or what one's capable of, what someone should and shouldn't do. Jim has defied that doubt. And what matters is being the best possible person one can be. Whenever I run into Jim, it's with a smile and just good vibes. I mean, I flubbed on a couple of things on this episode. I'm only human, and Jim gets that. I look forward to when our paths cross again. And to all of you tuning in out there, I appreciate it. Go crush that subscribe button, leave a review, reach out to me and say hello. You could go to interviewswithchris.com for any previous material or go on any major platform where you can hear a podcast. If you like what you're hearing, then subscribe and give some positive feedback. It's as simple as that, and it truly does go a long way. Spread the word. Hey, maybe talk to somebody about it over some tacos and tequila. I don't know. But what I do know is that I appreciate you all. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.